a seat, open your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51, man, I think I've shared with you all before that it is well is, that is my life song. It is well with my soul. Man, that's a, that's a song for the broken. That's a song like no matter what happens, Christ is not going to lose me. No matter what happens, Christ has the ability to keep those who are his. Swell with my soul. I don't know if y'all remember the contract, the covenant that you and I made together. I said this a few months ago that since it is well with my soul is my life song, I need y'all as RCC to make a promise to me. Do y'all remember those two promises? So if I go to meet Jesus before my wife does, if I go home to glory before Mandy does, the first promise I want y'all to vow to me is she can't remarry. I want y'all to just write it down, journal it. It is what it is. I don't mind hunting people's houses like a ghost. I will do that for all of eternity if I find out y'all let her marry after I was gone. The second promise is if I go home to glory before Mandy you know, man, I want that song sung or played at my home-going celebration. That regardless of all of my sins and failures, my faith is in Jesus Christ, not my own works, not my own righteousness. It's a reminder that it is well with my soul, and, and that song just leads us right into the text for this morning in Psalm 51. Beloved, you have heard a lot of things this past week. A lot of thoughts. A lot of opinions. A lot of lies. Maybe you've heard this past week that your past is too dark. Your sin is too big. Your brokenness is too severe that God cannot use you. Now, beloved, hear the word of God from Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you, you alone. I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. 
and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God. God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I will give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, O God. In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then... Bulls will be offered on your altar. Let's ask God for his help this morning. Would you pray with me? You've told us what you desire. I pray, O oh Lord, that you will kill all arrogance right now. I pray that you would kill all self-sufficiency right now. I pray that you would kill every thought that would dare to think that I can stand before a holy God on my own account. Kill it this morning, Father. Replace it with a broken and contrite heart. Replace it with a heart that says, I am nothing without Christ. All I have is Jesus. Remind us. Remind us of your goodness. Oh, Lord, and when you do that, then, like the psalmist, open our lips to declare your praise. You're able this morning. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Psalm 51. This, if I, if I had to categorize, Psalm 51 would probably be one of my top psalms. And it's not so much the content. Oh, the content of Psalm 51 is, is glorious. We're going to walk through it. It is, it is magnificent. What makes Psalm 51 my favorite psalm is the reason why Psalm 51 was written. 
It's the, it's the backstory to Psalm 51. You, you remember we're in a series called Holy Spirit Help. And y'all, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. We need the Holy Spirit in the midst of our most broken moments, our most sinful moments to turn our hearts again back to the Father. So if I can, allow me to summarize Psalm 51 at the outset. Here it is. It is possible to be filled with the Holy Spirit and commit dark, heinous, gross sin. I want y'all to let that marinate for a minute. It's possible, probable, likely, that you and I who are filled with the Holy Spirit have in our hearts a heart full of gunpowder. And at any circumstance, any time we don't get our way, any sight that passes our vision, it is enough to explode that gunpowder in our hearts and cause us to commit dark, heinous, gross sin. It's possible, it's probable. But, but, God is able to cleanse and restore the worst of sinners. That's the summary of Psalm 51. I mean, that's the totality of it. We can go home, but we're not. Stat, like the Holy Spirit is here. We're going to get to that when we get to verses, verse 10 and 11. That it's possible to be filled, to have the Holy Spirit, and still turn our backs on the one who has rescued us time and time and time again. So I got to give you a warning this morning before we even dive in. I got I to give you a warning. Man, for, for us who have that little bit of legalism in our hearts, for, for us who have ever uttered the words, you're not a Christian because you did X, that's going to be a hard sermon for y'all, for me. For those of us who look at our own lives and think that our sin smells better than your sin, man, it's going to be a hard sermon. For those of us who think that it's going to take nothing short of Christ to make all things new, heaven and earth and all of creation to finally weed out the darkness in our own hearts, y'all. Man, it's going to be a hard sermon. What's the backstory to Psalm 51? Because you can't, you can't just dive into Psalm 51. A lot of our Bibles, at the very beginning, they have this heading there that says, For the choir director, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba, man, you talking about purifying what actually happened with David. Backstory is this. Let me give you the trailer version, the two-minute trailer version. 
David was the man. Randall was talking about last week those posters that we have up on our walls of, of, of perseverance and, and patience. David would have been one of those posters that we look to. God was looking for a man after God's own heart, and he found David and said, that's the man. He is the man after my own heart, king in Israel, the one who was the forerunner to Jesus Christ. David was the man. That's who David was. Oh, he was, he was an example. That's the who of Psalm 51. What happened with David? Well, Psalm 51 was written. Again, I'm going to give you the trailer version. David was chilling in his palace one night while all the other men and kings were out to war. All of a sudden, he looks across his balcony and he sees a woman that his eyes should not have been cast upon. So he tells one of his men, hey, who, who was that over there? And then his, his buddy, being more righteous to him, tries to clue David in. He says, man, that's Uriah's wife. David didn't take heed. He sent for Bathsheba anyway, called her to his palace, slept with Bathsheba, another man's wife. And then the text, almost in passing, says that David put her out right afterwards like she was nothing. Bathsheba goes home, finds out that she's now pregnant by the king of Israel, by the man after God's own heart. So she sends word to David, hey, David, I'm, I'm, I'm pregnant. So David thinks of this bright idea. Uriah's off to war. You remember Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband. He calls Uriah back home and tries to convince Uriah to go in and pretend that after he has been with his wife, that somehow now the baby's going to be his. Uriah being more righteous than the man after God's own heart. Says to David, man, I ain't coming home from war. And going inside and hanging out with my wife, I got soldiers on the field dying. I'm asleep outside my house until it's time for me to go back. Well, David didn't take that answer. He then persuades Uriah to get drunk. And Uriah, in his drunken state, is still more righteous than David. Did not go in. Did not see his wife. So David said, man, I'm in a quandary. All of the kingdom is going to know that that child is mine by Bathsheba. So David comes up with another bright idea. He says, I want you to put Uriah on the front lines of the war to ensure that he is killed. So David takes Uriah, text says, takes some of his own men, puts them on the front line. Uriah is killed, and also some of David's own men are killed. David has murdered, committed adultery, conspired, and he's the man after God's own heart. I mean, all within a matter of moments. That is the backstory to Psalm 51. 
Nathan the prophet comes to David. Doesn't come right at David, but he roundabout way tells David, brother, you are foul. Your sin is stinking to high heaven. And that's an interesting thought, RCC. Here you have David, a man after God's own heart. We're going to find out in verse 11 that he does possess the Holy Spirit. Commits this gross sin. Sins, plural. And it takes Nathan to come to David for him to realize what's actually happening. So let me give you another point to Psalm 51, and it is this. It is possible to be filled by the Holy Spirit and not even realize the nastiness of your own sin unless someone shows you. It's remarkable. Now, naturally, some of us in here are thinking, yeah, I got some people in my life that they need me to tell them the nastiness of their own sin. Naturally, that's where our hearts and our minds go. Like, oh, yeah, I know a couple of people who need a word from me. But how about it, blood? Do you not have any blind spots? Do you not have any dark corners of your heart that if they were exposed would bring all sorts of shame and guilt? Are you the one that's actually in need of someone to come and say, you're the man. You're the woman who has done this. This is the context of of Psalm 51. Like David, a man after God's own heart, has committed this gross sin, and it takes somebody from the community to come in and say, brother, man, you need to repent of your sins. You know, the fact that we even have Psalm 51, the fact that we even have this text in our Scripture screams of the grace of God. The fact that God in his wrath did not strike David down immediately should cause us to bow down in praise. The fact that David can even by the Holy Spirit muster the grace to pen these words to say, man, God, when when sin abounds, your grace overabounds. The fact that I'm standing up here preaching, to cause us to bow down and worship. The fact that you're sitting there listening should cause us to bow down and worship. Psalm 51 is a testimony to the grace of God. It's a testimony to the perseverance of God. It's a testimony to the fact that God is not quick to let us go. Chases us. Hunts us down, brings us back. So let me me posture Psalm 51 like this. I want you to uh, picture a a door, if you will. And the door has a door frame to it. And then it's the actual door, and then it's the hinges of that door. Y'all with me so far? You got the door frame, you got the door, you got the hinges. 
Psalm 51 is sort of categorized like that. There's the frame upon which everything else is held up. The frame of Psalm 51 is verse 1. The hinge upon which the door swings and you are able to go from one side to the other is verse 11. That is the Holy Spirit. And then one side of the door is verses 2 through 10. And then the other side of the door is verses 12 through 19. It doesn't matter if you got that down. I'll repeat myself at least 10 times through the course of this sermon. All of that to say that Psalm 51 is a great example of a broken yet hopeful passage of Scripture. This is the text that was coming to our mind when we were fashioning the vision statement of Redemption City Church. Any brave soul want to give me the first three words of RCC's vision statement? Broken yet hopeful. That is Psalm 51 in a nutshell. Why is it broken yet hopeful? A lot of it has to do with the frame of Psalm 51. That's verse 1. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. How, brothers and sisters, do we get from David's nasty sins to Psalm 51? 51. We get there based upon two words. Those two words are according to. The only way David survives his nasty sin is according to the abundant compassion of God. The only way David survives is according to the faithful love of God. Of God. David, even in the midst coming out of this sin, realizes that the only basis for the grace of God is not found in himself. God, I'm standing before you in the midst of my sin. How can I possibly stand before you? It's not because of anything good in me. It is simply according to your faithful love and compassion. Is that, is that our posture this morning? Like, Lord, like, like the song we sing, like the only reason I'm here is because you're faithful. The only reason I'm here is because you're, you're compassionate. Be gracious to me, O oh God, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. And this is hard for us to get sometimes, RCC. It's hard for us because inside of all of us, we have this human accounting system. And that human accounting system says to God, even on our best days, Lord, you should forgive me because I've had more good this week than bad. Lord, you should forgive me because, you remember that good deed I did two weeks ago? Lord, that's why you should forgive me. But David stops us in our tracks and says, no, 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 Christian. The only reason God is gracious to you is because he is a loving God. 
Because he's a steadfast God, because he never changes. And brothers and sisters, that should be good news to us who are broken. Because if God was faithful to us based upon our faithfulness, he would leave us every single day and never return. But the fact that God is compassionate to us because of himself and he never changes, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is good news to us. But we dare not come to God with some trinkets in our hands and attempt to barter our trinkets for his steadfast love and compassion. It's not enough. We dare not come before God with our monopoly money and say, God, can I pay for my own compassion? God is like, what is that? My kids go through two stages at home. They're, they're kind of in one stage right now where they're understanding the value of money. And so when, you know, kids begin to understand the value of money, they think that once they have a little bit of money, they can buy anything. They got a couple nickels in their hand. They're like, I can buy my own shoes, bro. I don't know where you get them shoes from. Not for 10 cents. But they think they have this sort of misunderstanding of how money works because they're learning. So my kids on a regular basis are like, Dad, can, can we go here? And then they will say, I have my own money. I'm like, you're not getting there with that. That's not happening. What you have cannot afford to buy where we're going. But they're, so, they're slowly understanding the concept of money. And so we pray that once they get older, they'll understand how much their mother and I have done for them, right? That's, you know, and they'll take care of us for the rest of our lives. That's the goal. That's the goal. But they're understanding, but they think with these, you know, little bit of change that they can buy anything. But then at sometimes they dip into this sweet stage of understanding money. Where they'll come to us and they'll be like, Mom and Dad, can we watch this movie tonight? It costs $5, but... We don't have $5. And then they'll say, can you, can you get it? Can you buy it for us? Can you, can you handle that for us? See, that's a sweet stage. Because it's, it's in those moments that I realize that my kids think I have a lot of money. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to stay in this stage forever because they don't know I'm broke. They look at daddy like, man, daddy got all the money in the world. I'm like, man, I got $25 in my bank account. That's all it is. That's it. That's it. But they'll come to us with empty hands and say, we, we ain't got it. Can you get it out of your surplus? Right? And brothers and sisters, that is the posture and position that David is in in Psalm 51. David is not coming to God in that first position like, God, I got 10 cents. This is enough, right? David is coming to God like, God, I ain't got nothing, but you have it all. Can you pay for this out of your surplus? God, I have nothing in my hands, but I know you possess it all. Can you cover what I need? And brothers and sisters, that's how we should approach God. God, I, I ain't got it. I can't afford it but I know you have it. 
So would you operate with me, not based upon what I have, but based upon what you have? See, brother and sister, salvation by grace is not just a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. We need to be saved by grace every single day. And this is what the psalmist is pointing out to us by saying, Lord, according to, according to your faithful love, according to your compassion, God, in the midst of this heinous sin, would you be compassionate towards me? Man, that is audacious. That's bold on behalf of David. That he would break God's commands and then expect God to be compassionate towards him in the midst of breaking those commands. Do you hear how David is approaching the throne room of God? I'm a wicked sinner. I should get everything I deserve, but God, would you have compassion upon me? Y'all, David is giving us a template of how we can boldly step into God's room. There are any sinners in the room this morning? Anybody who just got done sinning? Anybody who's sinning right now with their thoughts? Anybody who's planning on sinning as soon as church is over? Do you realize the template that David is setting here? Understand. Understand that God doesn't deal with us based upon us. God deals with us based upon his compassion, based upon his love. This is the framework for everything we believe about our relationship to God. It's not according to us, Lord. It is according to you. What's the hinge? Look at verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Allow me just to to break this thought down in verse 11. The reason why David can say, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me, if I can simplify it, it's because that David still has the Holy Spirit. And if David still has the Holy Spirit, he had the Holy Spirit when he was doing all of that nasty mess. Which is why he can now cry out, Lord, now that I've done this nasty mess, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. What am I trying to say, RCC, that it is possible, it's possible to have the Holy Spirit. And still do dark, grievous, heinous sins. It is possible to have the Holy Spirit and still do things that should cause us to shudder. Because, beloved, as as I'm reading Psalm 51, we we have to understand a mark of the Holy Spirit. The, The mark of the Holy Spirit is not that you and I will be sinless in this life. We won't be. It's that you will know who to run, crawl, or cry out to when you do sin. 
That is the mark of the Holy Spirit. Man, how, does, how do we know Stephen Love has the Holy Spirit? Because when Stephen Love messes up, there is a power of God inside of me that says, I need to run to the Father. And if I can't run to the Father, I need to crawl to the Father. And if I can't crawl to the Father, I just need to cry out where I'm from. Lord, come get me. I'm stuck. I'm here. See, the mark, and we're going to get there, but, you know, every passage of Scripture doesn't say everything in the Bible. I want, I want us to marinate on this fact. We're going to talk about in a few weeks the power of the Holy Spirit to keep you and I from sinning perpetually, but we ain't there yet. Right now, we're in Psalm 51. And, and, and see, we, the full Christian needs the full Bible. So Psalm 51 is telling us, that the Holy Spirit, one of the miraculous roles that he has in our life is to turn us back to the one who can heal us from our sin. It is not sinless perfection. So, saint, if you're in this room and you're striving after perfection, let me save you a whole lot of trouble. You'll get there. When Christ comes back. But right now, in your striving, don't you understand that at the same point, you're spitting on the grace of God? You're spitting on the same God who says, not by works. (laughs) Not by your righteousness. And this is what David is saying to us. Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I'm in the midst of my sin. I need your Holy Spirit to now restore me. To now bring me back. The Holy Spirit takes us from one side of the door to the other side, oftentimes, believers, multiple times in the same day. What's one side of the door? Well, Psalm 51, verses 2 through 10. You'll notice that in the first half of Psalm 51, David is in the midst of like, I'm I'm broken, I'm a sinner, I've been a sinner since birth. He is realizing the depths of his sin. Verse 3, he says, I am conscious of my rebellion. Verse 4, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Verse 5 says, I was guilty when I was born. Verse 7 says, Lord, purify me with hyssop, and then I'll be clean. See, beloved, that's that's the one side of the realization of how broken you and I can be. But that is not the only side of the door. The other side of the door upon which the Holy Spirit opens up wide to us is the side of restoration. So notice in the second half of Psalm 51, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. He says, I will then teach sinners your ways, verse 13. Then he says, open my lips and I will declare your praise, verse 15. On one side of our sin, we realize how broken we are. On the other side of our sin, we realize God ain't done with us yet. On one side, we wallow, and rightfully so, like, Lord, I'm a messed up person. But on the other side, God says, I still can use you. There's still work for you to do. My my job with you is not done. The the reason why the Spirit is the hinge is because the Spirit doesn't want to leave us 
in the first half of Psalm 51. The Spirit wants to say, Lord, yeah, I'm broken, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that you will, yeah, once again open my mouth to sing praises to you. That you will say, yes, Lord, I can still work for your glory. And there might be some of us in, in this room who are stuck in the first half of Psalm 51. And have been stuck there for years. You've done something that your closest of friends and family have no idea. And for years you have been waiting in this guilt and shame. Listen, believer. The Holy Spirit, as the old preacher used to say, sent me here today to tell you there is hope. The Lord wants to open your mouth again to sing his praises. The Lord wants to show you that the sinful past by his grace is not determinate of his gracious future for your life. Spirit is saying that there is the other side of the door, and it is restoration, it is ministry, it is calling, brothers and sisters. Your sin is not the end of your story. It's not. As a matter of fact, I love how David ends Psalm 51 in verses 18 and 19. Notice what he says there. He says, in your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Do you notice the magnificent transformation that happens in David's life in Psalm 51? He goes from like, Lord, I am so broken, to Lord, open my lips to praise you, to Lord, don't just restore me, restore all your people. Cause all of Zion to prosper. And brothers and sisters, that should be the the sort of steps of transformation even in our own lives. Man, Stephen, I'm I'm a sinner. But Lord, you're gracious. And Lord, if you're gracious to me, you can be gracious to all of our season. I don't want to be the only one prospering in God's compassion and steadfast love. I want the entire church of God to prosper and, and grow in God's steadfast love. It goes from like personal to community. And saints, I think that's fitting. So I want to do something now that maybe you have never done before in the context of the community of God's people. I want to do a public confession of sin and assurance of God's pardon. So I'm going to put some words on the screen, and I would just love for us as a community to read these words together. 
Because what it says is that as a community, that there is not one person in this room who doesn't daily struggle with something or another. There is not one person in this room who is not daily in need of the grace of God. As a community, we're standing before God and saying, Lord, in your graciousness, forgive all of us of all of our sins. So let's do that this morning, RCC. You see the words on the screen? I'm going to lead us, but I want you to say them out loud with me as we acknowledge the grace and compassion of God. Let's, let's confess together. Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Now, beloved, I just want to pause just for the next few moments. And this is not a passive moment on your end. This is like a moment like, Lord, search me and know me. See if there is any unclean way within me. And if it is, Lord, would you, would you blot it out? Would you turn your face from my sins? We're going to pause for a few moments and just go before the Lord silently or publicly and confess all of our sins before him, however the Spirit should lead you.